All right, well, we'll take just a minute and dismiss children for Children's Church. So parents, if you have anyone four years old up through second grade, you'd like for them to head upstairs, they can do so at this time. I want to start off uh, the message today with a question for us to think about. Um, Can a person know if they are giving in to false teaching or listening to a false teacher? Can a person know that? And maybe it was years ago I started to ponder that question a little bit and wondered if people who were under false teaching actually knew uh, that they were under false teaching or if they were just so... Uh, deceived or delusioned that they didn't even really know that. But it's a, it's a wonderful question for us to consider. Can anyone know that? Can, can you know that? Can, can I know whether or not something that is coming across my ears, coming into my mind, is false teaching or is coming from a false teacher? I mean, it would be great if it worked this way, if someone got up to espouse some kind of spiritual instruction, and they gave a disclaimer right at the beginning to say something like, just so you know, falsehood is coming right at you. Uh, You know, just so you know, all that I'm about to say is not true. It'd be great if it had a little tag attached to it or a disclaimer, but we all know that's not necessarily how it works. In fact, it may have a bit of a ring of truth or even be very persuasive in the way that it's delivered. And we could probably say this, that never before in history has the opportunity abounded as much as it does today for false teaching to be peddled uh, across the world. We think of the technology that we have that really um, people are more susceptible and more prone to having false teaching come into their lives than, than ever before. I mean, even a few hundred years ago, you might have a couple of people in a town that could have been... Uh, potential to, to give false teaching, or maybe there'd be a, a circuit rider that would come across and there'd be someone passing through that might deliver some kind of false teaching. But today, we need to be so careful, brothers and sisters, to have a discerning mind when we go to a bookstore, consider whether we're going to pick up this book on spiritual guidance, whether we're going to click on that YouTube influencer, that YouTube teacher, whether or not that is good to put into our minds of, of a podcast that someone sends you a link to or, or the radio station that you're listening to and whether or not these things are being discerned, whether or not we can know if the teaching that we're hearing is true or false. I mean, it's only our lives that are at stake. It's only eternity that is at stake between false teaching that can lead us astray down a path that is away from God or true teaching from God that leads us to peace in our hearts and to eternity forevermore with Christ and can truly give us a joy of having sins forgiving, forgiven and having peace in our hearts forevermore. There's a lot of it at stake. There's a lot at stake when it comes to thinking about this question, how can I know? How can anyone know whether the teaching that I'm listening to and the teaching that I'm hearing and the teaching that I'm drawn to and the teaching that I seek out is true or false? And so I pray that today it's a little bit of an unusual sermon, but this is what we're encountering when we come to Colossians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul is moving in this direction towards helping the believers 
at Colossae understand how they can avoid false teaching? How can they know what they're hearing is true or false? How to recognize it, how to interact with it, how to filter out false teaching, how to know what belongs in the trash bin and what should come through to truly feed my soul in a way that would be pleasing to the Lord and gives me glad worship of him. Our scripture today, thankfully, is going to help us with this very thing. The Apostle Paul is arriving. He's coming to a place in his letter where he's reaching a focal point. Almost everything that he's been saying up to this point in Colossians chapter 1 and then into chapter 2, it comes to a focal point. He's desiring for his readers to be able to recognize and combat false teaching. This is immensely practical to us. We think about all of the media that may travel in and out of our ears and flow in and out of our minds in our lifetime to be able to filter out those things that are untrue and to let in truth to truly feed our souls. Last Sunday, we looked at how Paul sounded the first alarm to this. He warned the church not to let anyone deceive them. Paul's great concern was that false teachers, no matter how convincing they may sound, but his concern was that they would not lead people in the church astray with falsehood. Today, we come to this main section in Colossians. It's a key section in this letter that Paul has written where he focuses on this danger. This, we're only going to uh, cover a couple of verses today, but the entire section runs from chapter 2, verse 6, all the way to verse 23. We're going to be looking at these over the next couple of weeks. We'll spend a few Sundays in this section. But today, I've titled this message this morning, How to Guard Against False Teaching. How to Guard Against False Teaching. There is a burden that is placed on each of us. There's a burden collectively, for sure, placed on the church as a whole of how to do this. But there's also a burden that is placed on each of us individually to know how to discern what is false and what is true. The first point we'll be looking at today addresses this goal of keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. This may seem obvious to us, but right out of the gate, the Apostle Paul is going to say this. Here's one way to discern false teaching. Know who Jesus Christ is. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want to overplay this example, but there is some truth element to this, and I think it's fitting here that oftentimes when people are trying to detect a counterfeit, whether that be counterfeit money, or whether it be counterfeit clothing or whatever it, it could be, but when someone's trying to detect a counterfeit, one of the ways to do that is to handle the genuine article, uh, to get so uh, used to and so familiar with a real Rolex watch that you would immediately or pretty quickly be able to discern a knockoff, a counterfeit, a fake. And if that is true in other areas of life, it's certainly more true here that the Apostle Paul is going to say the very first thing as Christians that we need to give and avail our time and attention to if we're going to combat false teaching is this. Get used to Jesus Christ. Know him in his fullness. Keep your eyes focused on him. 
The first and foremost line of defense against false teaching is to know who Jesus is, to be thoroughly familiar with him and his teachings, walk in his ways, and then you would know almost immediately what is not in line with Jesus Christ. So let's look at this first point this morning that Paul is going to give us in verse 6. As we fix our eyes on Jesus, as we're discerning what it means to combat and to be on the defense against false teaching, it is this, continue living under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Continue living under Jesus as Lord. Look with me at Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Our verse here begins with, therefore, Paul's just stated, we looked at this last Sunday, that in Christ, all wisdom, all true knowledge is contained and stored up in Jesus Christ. We don't look elsewhere. We don't go elsewhere. Christ is the containment of all true truth and true wisdom and true knowledge. But some people will come along with polished or persuasive arguments to get you to chase life's purpose and chase life's meaning elsewhere. Maybe we could just say it this way, brothers and sisters. The ditches on the road of life are littered with ruinous ideas and philosophies apart from Christ. In the annals of history, the ditches on the road of life are littered with all kinds of ruinous philosophies and ideas apart from Jesus Christ. With him there is hope. With him there is truth. With him there is salvation. With him there is peace. With him there is security. With him is all of these things bound up in the person of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul has been showing us for a chapter and a half here so far that he is more than just a man. No mere man does the miracles that Jesus did. No mere man commands the wind and the waves to obey. No mere man goes to the grave and rises again. That in Christ all of fullness of God dwelt. And as he invites us to follow him, we will reap the benefits of all that he is and all that he has given to us. Search history. Search philosophy. Search all of the ideas of mankind outside of Christ and you will find the ditches full of dead men's ideas. Christ is it. Christ is it, Paul would say. So as you have received him, so now walk in him. Paul ended verse 5 encouraging the church to remain firm in their faith. Now as we look at verse 6 here, his main point is to keep walking. Keep living in Christ. He says, walk in him. That is a continual idea. Keep walking. Keep living. Don't sit still. Don't become complacent. Don't leave Christ behind. Don't put him on the back burner. Don't hit the cruise control and relax. Don't get preoccupied with other things. Keep walking in Christ. Keep your eyes focused on him. Keep your daily walk in fellowship with Christ. Now, what is Paul getting at here? Let's notice what he's saying. 
He's telling us that Jesus is not a launching point that you move on from. Jesus isn't something that you just come and take a nibble of and then you move on to something else. He's not a launching point. Jesus is the main point that we remain with. Jesus is the everlasting joy that we taste and we continue to taste and we keep on tasting and we come back again and again like life-giving waters. This is Jesus Christ. It, it, to, to pursue Christ is not like a, a school class or an education where you, you start in at a basement level and then you move on or you move up to other things. Jesus is the point. What Paul is saying is you've received him, don't move on from him, you remain in him. So the church has received Christ. Now keep walking in him. This receiving in this verse, the word as it's used here, it's worth discussing for a moment. There, there may be some element here of personal receiving of Jesus. If you've ever uh, maybe had someone ask you the question, have you received Christ? Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? There, there's some element of it, of it there, but the main idea is that they have welcomed in the totality of this phrase that we're going to look at, Christ Jesus as Lord. Christ Jesus the Lord. That is a pregnant phrase. Let's take it apart here for just a moment. But there is a lot packed into those few words. That is the main idea. As you welcomed Christ Jesus, the Lord, keep walking in him. That's quite a title. First, we hear the word Christ. And what Paul is saying is you have received Jesus as Christ, as Messiah, as the promised one for thousands of years that there would be a Savior who would come and he would pay sin's penalty in his death on the cross, that as you place your faith and trust in him, your sins are forgiven. As you've received Jesus as this one, as this Savior, you've welcomed him, you've believed him, you've received that he is the one and only anointed deliverer, as you've received this one, the Christ sent from God. But he uses another descriptive word here as well. Jesus is the Lord. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about this, brothers and sisters. It's not Jesus, a Lord. No, throw him in a category with a bunch of other competing lords. No. Jesus, the Lord, the one and only, the highest Lord, the one of absolute authority. Paul is saying, as you have received this one, the Lord, you've welcomed him, you've believed in him, you've received that he is the one who is in charge over everything. He's not just some authority that competes with others. He is king of kings. He's lord of lords. Everything on earth is subject under his kingly rule and reign. This is Jesus. We looked at the repeated high and lofty titles and descriptions that the Apostle Paul gave of Jesus in Colossians chapter 1, that he's head over all creation. He's head over the church. He's head and has authority over death itself. 
death takes orders from Jesus. He commands and death listens. There's no jurisdiction for Jesus Christ. His resurrection goes beyond death's doorstep. He is all of these things. He is the Lord. There's no dispute. He is sovereign and is in charge over everything. Now, it's at this precise point of the lordship of Christ where many people begin to slip in their Christian walk. Listen to this quote I came across studying uh, this verse here. Most believers will never reject or ignore the functions and the claims of Jesus as Messiah and Savior. Meaning, if we're Christian and we're prone to Jesus Christ, we, we believe on him, most of us never quabble or have any issues whatsoever and know, know over the functions and the claims of Jesus that he is the sent one from God and that he saves us. Well, hallelujah, that all day. Thank you, Lord, saving my soul, forgiving my sins. Thank you. But when it comes to walking in him as Lord, our heart stirs up many reasonings and arguments for loosening that call. Don't you find this to be true in your own life? I find it to be true in mine. I want Jesus in all of his glory as my Savior. Uh, my heart wrestles when we use this word Lord. Lord, sovereign over, in total charge. What the Apostle Paul is getting at here is that the foot in the door for listening to false teaching and, and drifting away from Jesus Christ, the foot in the door for that is loosening the call of Jesus as Lord. The first and greatest defense and guarding against false teaching is continually walking in the Lordship of Christ over all areas of our life. Paul would say here, it's a dangerous opening of your life to false teaching to relax this idea of Christ as Lord. Simply put, what Jesus says I do. What Jesus says, we do. That is proper placement of the Lordship of Jesus Christ over our life. Now, as we move on to verse 7, that is the establishment of Paul's point here in verse 6. As you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue in him. You've taken that, keep walking don't sit on your hands. Don't take a break. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. As we move on to verse 7, now he's going to give us a picture. What does that look like? It's a very general phrase. Keep walking in Jesus. But let's have some specifics, Paul. What does this look like? What does it look like to be walking in Christ? What does this mean? How is it done? And so here in verse 7, he's going to give us four ways using some imagery and metaphors to describe the life of a person who is walking in Jesus, walking in him as Lord. Look with me at verse 7 now. Rooted and built up in him. And established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let's just walk through this verse here. There's a lot in it. This walk of 
continuing faith, first of all, is Paul uses in this word rooted. It's a firm, rooted life in the soil of Jesus. This is a firm, rooted life in the soil of Jesus. Rooted is the word that Paul uses here. This is an agriculture term. This is a farming term. It's to say that Christ's, um, a Christian's entire life is rooted deep and firm in the person of Jesus Christ. It's important to know that this is not something that a Christian does for themselves. This word, as Paul uses it in the verse here, it's in the passive voice, meaning we have been rooted. Something has happened externally or on the outside of us that has rooted us in Christ, and that something is God. God is the active, active force that has put us in Christ and rooted us deep down into him. God has actively done this for us. He has given our lives firm rooting in Jesus when we formerly had none. You might ask the question, what is it that drew me to Jesus Christ? How, how did my life become anchored in Jesus Christ? This verse tells us we, you have been rooted there. If you have had that tug and you have had that pull on your heart to come to Christ and to be fixed on him, God has done that. He has drawn you to the beauty of Jesus Christ knowing there is no other way that your sins can be forgiven. There is no life outside of Jesus Christ. And you hear that in your ears are saying, yes, I want that. I want more of that. I'm rooted in Christ. If that is your testimony and that is true of you today, God has done that. He has taken your life, which had no roots, and he has planted your life in Jesus Christ and given you roots firmly rooted in Jesus. I've got a picture here I'd like to show of the Mackinac River. And every time I'm around the Mackinac River, I'm reminded of the importance of being firm rooted in good soil. If you've walked along the river, if you've floated down or kayaked down or canoed down the river, you'll notice you don't have to go very far before you see many trees, much like the ones in, in this picture here, fallen over because their root system had nowhere else to go. The banks of the river had been washed away, the roots had nowhere to go, and so the tree falls over. I just want us for a moment to think about, maybe fix on that fallen tree, See it as a picture of a life without firm roots. The picture of a life apart from Jesus Christ. There are philosophies. There are ideas. There are people peddling things out there in this world that would tell you, listen to our ways, listen to our spiritual counsel, listen to our spiritual governance. And what they're really doing is putting your roots nowhere and you are a fallen tree laying on the ground. The Apostle Paul says, when you're in Christ, God has taken your life and he has firm rooted you in a soil of growth. He's firm rooted you in a soil of joy. He's firm rooted you in a soil of peace. He has firm rooted you in the life of Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, continue walking in Christ, the one in whom God has planted you firmly. 
the one in whom your life is stable, the one in whom delivers nutrients to your soul and provides fruit and vitality and life and security to all of your days here on earth. Continue walking in him, the one you are rooted in. He uses a second word here. Not only does he say rooted, but he says built up in him. Verse 7 again, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. So the Apostle Paul switching from a farming metaphor to one of architecture. It's to say that a Christian's life does not sit stagnant, but continually builds up and continually matures in Jesus Christ. Just like the previous word rooted, this one also is not something that we do on our own, but is something that God has done for us. He is the active agent building us up in Jesus Christ. Layer upon layer, stack upon stack, level by level, as we live our Christian lives, we are growing more and more, being built up more and more because God is working in us through Christ. God is actively changing our lives, little by little, layer by layer. That might seem frustrating at times. We might wonder in our Christian walk, why can't I get past this thing? Why can't I grow quicker than I do? Brothers and sisters, we trust the timing and the grace of God in Christ. He will do this. He is building us up. He is continually building us up until one day we are perfect, mature, grown up in our faith, in Jesus Christ. I've got another slide here that I'd like to show you just related to this architectural term of building up. The ancient city of Colossae was no stranger to elaborate, beautiful architecture. We might think, oh, what kind of architecture did they have 2,000 years ago? What kind of things were they able to build? This is a picture of the theater that existed uh, in this area. Let this give us a mental picture of the steady process of being built up layer by layer, level by level. Imagine being a person in the city of Colossae watching this theater be built and seating by seating, layer by layer, row by row as it continued to stack up and then the front of this theater and all of the intricacies of it and this beautiful piece of work. The Apostle Paul is telling them, you, you, you're in Christ. You are being built up by God's activity in your life because of Christ. You are being built up layer by layer. God is building your life. He's building his church on the sure foundation of Jesus Christ. The theater that you're looking at surely wasn't built in a day. It took day after day of working. Surely our Christian walk and our maturity isn't built in a day. God is doing this consistently day by day as he has planted us firmly rooted in Christ and he's continuing to work on us day by day. Brothers and sisters, continue walking in Jesus, the one in whom God is using to build up your life to a beautiful and complete person. No other philosophy, no other idea, no other spiritual guidance delivers this growth to you. Collectively, as we hear in the book of 1 Peter, we are living stones that are being built up as a spiritual house of worship to God. We are a living 
building, being built up in our worship to God. There's a third uh, identifier here, a third description in verse 7. Not only are we firm-rooted in the soil of Jesus and built up in Jesus level by level, but we are also to be established in the faith, just as you were taught. This is what it looks like to continue walking in Christ, that we would be assured of the truths of Jesus, strengthened, convinced, and even more convinced. And then when you're done being convinced, you're convinced some more so that it assures us that what we know and what we hear of Jesus Christ is true. Being convinced and established in the faith. The faith here is not so much referring to a person's personal faith, although that's probably true at least in some part here, but it's referring to the body of truth about Jesus Christ, the faith, not, not your faith personally, but the faith in totality. It's the body of things that are true. It's the body of doctrine that was delivered to these people through the continual teaching ministry of the church. These teachings, which would have orig originated with Jesus Christ himself, were passed on to his apostles, Paul being one of them, who then passed them on to the churches, who then passed them on to the next generation of churches, and so forth and so on, all the way down through the generations until we have it today. This body of truth, the faith, it establishes and it steadies us in life. It frees us from doubts that false teachers would seek to exploit as they try to convince us that we're missing something in our lives by having only Jesus Christ. Listen, we should be weary of any new thing that just jumps on the stage anyway. But what the Apostle Paul is saying here as it comes to teaching is that you would be established in the faith just as you were taught, just as he was taught, as it goes back to Jesus Christ himself. Walking close to Christ establishes us. It convinces us regularly of the sufficiency of Jesus in all things. So false teachers would want you to doubt. They would want to put a seed of doubt in your mind. Aren't you missing something with Jesus? Well, no. Not missing anything with Jesus. What more is there than to have the all-sufficient Christ who made everything and saved sinners from their sins to give us a place in heaven forever and gives us joyful worship while we're here on this earth, slogging through all of the fallenness of this, of this life? What else are we missing? Paul would say, be established in this faith. Be established in what you know of Christ. It's reliable. Finally, we come to the end of verse 7 this morning. Abounding... In thanksgiving, he closes this verse with that phrase, abounding in thanksgiving. You know, elsewhere in Scripture, Paul challenges us and charges us as Christians to be thankful, to give thanks, to have a tone of thanksgiving in what we do. But here, he gives this description of excessiveness. He doesn't just say, be thankful. He says, abound in thanksgiving. And excessiveness is attached to it. We're not just to be people of thanks, but we are to superabound, to spill over, to overflow. 
Uh, to continue pouring the milk in the glass until it spills over the sides. We're to be abounding in this kind of thanksgiving. You would say, well, for what? We might ask that question. What should we be thankful for? How can we abound in thanksgiving? Well, here's just a couple of categories. We could abound in thanksgiving for all things spiritual. The Apostle Paul has already given us two verses here that could fill hours of our thinking to just go back through and say, I'm, I'm abounding in thanksgiving for all that you've done for me here. Jesus Christ, Messiah, Lord, the one who I'm rooted in, the one who I'm fixed upon, the one who builds me up and grows me in my walk, in my life here on earth. We could abound in thanksgiving for everything we have spiritually. But we could add another category to that. We could abound in thanksgiving for all things eternal. Abounding in thanksgiving for all that heaven will be and all that awaits for us in that life and in eternity that is untouched and unstained by sin. Brothers and sisters, your heart ever just long to have our strings of life cut from the woes and the weariness of this earth? I was sharing with the elders this morning. I, many of you know, I, two good pastor friends uh, that I've enjoyed their fellowship and friendship with for over a decade in Zimbabwe. And they were in a severe car accident a couple of, about a year and a half ago. The one died uh, just within a few days and just uh, around the Christmas holidays here a few weeks back, uh, the second one passed away after having never recovered from that car accident. And I was just remembering as uh, I was sharing that with them that my, my mind has a hard time going to some places that are full of sorrow. My mind has a hard place of going to difficulty in this life and questioning why and wondering how is that going to work out and why two men who were at the prime of their life in pivotal positions in their country to spread the gospel of Christ, their lives are now gone. I long for the day when we can be in heaven and be cut free of sorrow. And be cut free of waiting for the phone to ring or hearing one more uh, discouraging, difficult thing on this earth. Let alone just dealing with our own trials and struggles. We can abound in thanksgiving for eternity, brothers and sisters, when one day all of that is resolved. No more crying, no more tears, no more sorrow. Joy forevermore that God has made ready for us. Finally, you think we can abound in thanksgiving for all things spiritual. We can abound in thanksgiving for all things eternal. We can also abound in thanksgiving for all things earthly in this physical world. We can abound for all in thanksgiving for all the things that we have. We can abound for all of the things that are in our lives, even when we don't understand its purpose. I was thinking this past week of the wonderful classic book, The Hiding Place. And in that book, if you've ever read it, uh, Corey Ten Boom is writing of her experiences of her family living in Holland and being uh, dragged away during World War II into a German uh, concentration camp there at Ravensbrück. And as she went there, her older sister Betsy was already there. And um, 
Corey was struggling because in the barracks in which they were living, it was run over with fleas. And she was just complaining all the time about how these fleas were biting and she couldn't stand the fleas and wished that the fleas were gone. Till one day her older sister, Betsy, said to her, I thank God for these fleas. Corey couldn't in her mind say, how in the world do you, can you thank God for something that you don't understand the purpose for and it's a nuisance and they're biting us and I just wish these things were out of my life. To which your sister shared with her, I thank the Lord for these fleas because, because our barracks is so overrun with these fleas, the guards won't come in here and beat us. They won't come in here and do unspeakable things to us. They stay out of our barracks because of these fleas. I thank God even for these fleas. And in that, brothers and sisters, when we don't understand many of the things that might cause tension or we think can cause us pinch points in our lives, we can abound in thanksgiving, not knowing why God has brought these things into our life, but know this, that with Christ, I can be thankful for everything that this is doing in my life. For his glory. Yes, we can even thank the Lord for the fleas. Why be thankful in abundance? What's the connection between being thankful and guarding against false teaching? A discontent heart is fertile ground for straying from Christ. A discontent heart is fertile ground for straying from Christ and seeking another thing that will somehow you think could rescue you or save you. But false teaching has little success with people abounding in thanks for Christ. False teaching has little success there. Maybe to say it another way, it's hard to be thankful for Jesus and be ready to abandon him at the same time. So Paul, in his wisdom, being inspired of God to write these words, said at the end to wrap up this section and to wrap up our time here this morning, this, abound in thanksgiving. It's hard to find elsewhere when you have everything and are thankful for it here. This is what Paul is calling us to. How do we guard our lives against false teaching this is way number one. This is ground zero. It starts here. Walk in our Lord Jesus Christ. Continue walking in him and abound in thanksgiving for all he's done for you and all he is. Abound in thanksgiving. Let's close our time this morning in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for these words Mindful of the verse right now that the devil is like a roaring lion walking about on this earth seeking whom he might devour. One of the ways that he would devour would be through false teaching, through espousing something else, making it shiny and maybe even reasonably appealing. Lord, take, a, take this word this morning and apply it to our hearts. Might you press it to us? The first step to combat false teaching we just take great delight and joy in Jesus Christ, our Lord, and be people who abound in thanksgiving. Put that in our hearts. We know we can't do that on our own. But might you feed us with that. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things today. Amen.